to the Cross the Line Podcast. My name is Carlos Smith, and today's episode is sponsored by KB's Car Care on 321 North Main Street in Jonesville, South Carolina. They offer hand car wash, vacuum, and clean interior. Full detail is also available. While you wait on your vehicle, customer seating is available as well as the dining area. They're open Tuesday to Saturday from 9 a.m. to 5 p.m., so make sure you stop by. Today's episode is also sponsored by Big Ben's Desserts. If you need to satisfy your sweet tooth, this is the place for you. They have a wide variety of desserts, including cakes, ice cream, banana pudding, and my personal favorite, the Oreo Cheesecake. They open Tuesday to Saturday from 12 p.m. to 8 p.m. and Sunday from 12 p.m. to 7 p.m. So make sure you stop by and visit Big Ben's Desserts on 297 Spartanburg Highway in Lima, South Carolina, where nothing could be sweet. Today we are back on the road again for the Cross the Line Podcast Self-Investment Tool with just got back from L.A. about two, three days ago, so <laughs> back on the road again, but it feels good to, you know, like we were talking about earlier, just finding your purpose and doing something that you love doing, so mm-hmm. um, it's a privilege to be here today. We have a very special guest, have uh, Emmy Award-winning news anchor and meteorologist and the host of the Modern Man podcast, Mr. Ted Fayton. How are you? I'm doing good, Carlos, man. Th- thanks for having me, man, and next time, let's do this, this interview in L.A. Because I'd like to be man, there too. I love that. that was my first time ever being out there, and it was totally different from being home. Um, you know, I'm I'm from Jonesville, South Carolina, and um, mm-hmm. from where I'm at in the upstate of South Carolina, is LA was just like a totally different environment. So it was a uh, man. I loved it. I was I stayed out there for almost a week, Ooh. and once I was out there, I was like, man, it almost felt kind of like home. The only thing just like the cost of living and everything. Yeah. But other than that, man, I love LA. It was probably one of my favorite experiences i've been on the road doing the self-investment tour la was probably one of my it might be one of the top places mm-hmm. that i've been to um, my older brother actually used to live in la and he ended up coming back he lives in florida now oh, okay. and he loved it there but the only thing was it was just he felt like he was in a different world because his whole family's on the east coast you have the time difference and for him, what was important was that family time and when the right. kids start getting older. So that brought him back to the East Coast. But he tells me all the time how, how nice it was out there. Man, yeah, that's, that, that was the hardest thing, you know, being away from my kids and everything. Now my son, he constantly was calling me all the time. And uh, that time difference is where it kind of threw me off, especially when I first got there. Because I arrived about, what, like around 10.30 uh, to Wednesday night. So over here... They already three hours ahead of me. Yeah. So it's like, man, I'm getting I'm ready to go to bed and everything. <laughs> but man, overall it was a great experience. So but thank you for joining me though. I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, man. And for most people watching this, um, they know they know that you were um actually one of our anchors in, in the upstate area, mm-hmm. Fox Greenville. So um a lot of people um should remember your face, but it's good to have you back. I know some people probably wonder where have you been. So I have found him. Here he is. I'm alive. <laughs> but uh, just kind of talking about, uh, just so people don't know, because, you know, a lot of times, you know, you, you report, you know, you do the weather, you just mm-hmm. you break news. So people don't actually get a chance to, like, dive into your story and actually find out, like, who you really are. So we're going to kind of dive into your story. And uh, so starting out a little bit, just tell people, like, originally, Ted, where are you originally from? Yeah, um, so I'm originally from Long Island, New York, um, but I always tell people my story starts in Haiti. Mm. Uh, Both of my parents are immigrants from Haiti. My mom grew up in Port-au-Prince. My dad grew up in Capaincian. They had two different types of upbringings. My dad grew up more, um, I don't want to say poor or impoverished, but he had to work his way out. Mm My mom had more of a comfortable living, but the life that was being built wasn't for her, so she had to use education to get out. 
So both of my parents had that in common, coming to the States, um, settling down, wanting their kids to have a good opportunity. So that's why I say my story starts in, in Haiti. Growing up in, in New York, it was a lot of work ethic, a lot of go, 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 go. And uh, at a young age, I found out the, I say the lie, but there is truth to it. But, you know, when people say, oh, if you just want more money, work hard. My parents were the hardest people, working people I knew, mm-hmm. but they weren't the richest people I knew. So going to public school or going to Catholic school growing up, I had this, this duality of life where in my neighborhood, uh, I was growing up around some other people who were impoverished. I was blessed compared to the people down the block from me. But then I would go to a school where an 18-year-old is crying because her dad got her the base BMW as her first car. So, so that really kind of impacted my perspective on the world, like, whoa, seeing these two, two opposites. Mm-hmm. And, and that kind of is what kind of sprung me into my unique view, into my work ethic with some of my entrepreneurial bite that I have. And um, that what launched me into college and then eventually into this industry. Did you have any siblings growing up? Or are you the only child? Um, so I'm the youngest of four. Grew up with my older sister in the household. My, my other older sister and older brother were actually from my dad's first marriage, and they grew up distant from me. I didn't get to meet them till a little bit later on in life. Mm-hmm. So um, youngest of four, you, you can't tell us different. Like, we, we are so tight now, um, picking up on the legacy of the family as we try and push forward. But um, pretty much grew, grew up as a younger brother. That's pretty much why I think I'm an old soul. I'm the youngest of my siblings, one of the youngest of my cousins. So by the age, by the time I was 16, 17, I was an uncle. That was my role in the household. Like, that's Uncle Ted. <laughs> did you come, did your family, were they, I know you said they worked hard, but were they entrepreneurs or did they, you know, work a traditional like nine to five? So uh, my parents worked a traditional nine to five. My mom was a registered nurse for 35 years, psychiatric nurse, um, and, and she stuck with that. My dad, he was more or less I would say I probably get more of my entrepreneurial bite from my dad because he wasn't necessarily an entrepreneur, but he was a go-getter. Mm-hmm. I remember growing up, we would drive around different different businesses and stuff. He was like, oh, yeah, I worked there for a little bit. I worked there for a little bit. When he first got with my mom, he used to live in Chicago. So when he moved to New York to be with my mom, he actually picked up odd jobs all over the place worked for a temp agency and i mean my dad has skills in all these different fields and all these different realms he knows a little bit about a lot right. which kind of plays into how i know a little bit about a lot mm-hmm. you know uh so i think i get the entrepreneurial bite from my dad but the work ethic from both my parents and really kind of just what i think a lot of the entrepreneurial energy is and a lot of that spirit is it's just a, kind of a a capacity to be resilient and resourceful mm-hmm. and identify goals and opportunities in the world and go after them and see problems and, and solve them along the way. Absolutely. What kind of, what kind of things growing up were you interested in? Do you sports or what kind of things did you gravitate towards? So, uh, football, football. <laughs> played a lot of football. I lo- loved that. Um, also computers. A lot, mm-hmm. a lot of people don't know about me was, you know, I was a gamer. Um, as I got later in, in, in high school, I actually built my own computer in high school to like mm. up, update, uh, update my computer, which this is probably the first, I wouldn't say entrepreneurial thought process, but the approach was the computer I wanted to play with was $1,500. Mm. And my dad says, no, your budget's 1000 We can't afford more than $1,000 for our next computer. 
So I go online and I found the parts for the computer with the specs that I wanted and it came out to $940. So I said to my dad, I said, hey, dad, these are the parts that gives me the spec for the $1,500 computer. If I build it myself, we both win. And to this day, I give my dad credit. He said, you think you could put a computer together? I said, yes. And he did it. He, he spent the money. He sat, he sat down with me as I'm you know, putting the motherboard in and the video card, and I built the computer. <laughs> and I had that computer, Carlos, from age 17 up until last year when I replaced it. That thing lasted it me a long time. A long time. <laughs> but it seemed like your parents instilled a lot in you, like a lot of different skills and, uh, and just a lot of discipline as well. Yeah. I think a lot of it was example. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like most of us looking back as kids, I gave my parents a hard time, you know, which one of us haven't. Yeah. But mm -hmm. what was an example that I always saw was the sacrifice my parents made for us, the right. life that they wanted us to have so when i'm going to catholic school with some students who are driving h2 hummers bmws and my parents my mom would go to work at 7 a.m and she'd get home at 11 p.m sometimes because she's working overtime to make that money to pay the mm -hmm. tuition my dad when when he got uh into retirement consulting he worked in the city we lived on long island anybody that's familiar with the northeast that's about an hour hour and a half commute each way so my dad would wake up before 6 or at 6, and he wouldn't be home until 6 p.m. And then he'd get home, we'd eat, and he'd do the dishes. And uh, both my parents are Haitian, so anyone who knows Creole will know what this means. But after dinner, my mom would be like, ah, ma plosien p.m., which means I'm going to go put my feet up because she just worked all day. And my dad would be like, all right, I got the dishes. So I think that example, seeing that, I didn't appreciate it for what it was at the time but now that i'm kind of older and getting into this adult life and just got married i'm starting to see that kind of structure and how that's been an impression on my life yeah i, I can absolutely agree with that you know growing up you know for me it's like i knew my parents went to work and i know i had to work and pay bills and they did what they had to do to put food on the table but it's like you never really kind of I guess you can kind of take it for granted at times because you just like, I mean, you see, like you're saying, you see kids driving this or they got new, the latest shoes and clothes mm -hmm. and everything and you wonder like, how come we don't get this stuff like that? But it's like, man, you don't, you don't understand what your parents are doing. They're doing the best they can to provide for you. So, you know, to, to make sure you have the necessities that you need. Yeah. And at times it's like, man, I didn't understand it until I got older, until I started working and I had to pay bills and mm -hmm. I have children. So. It's one of those things like you can take it for granted, but now when I look back, now I'm just like, man, mm -hmm. I, I, I'm thankful for everything <laughs> that my parents done, and now I'm like, man, I wish I could go back to being a kid again. Just yeah, so simple, but we take those things for granted. I think it's the value of the dollar, right? right. Mm -hmm. I didn't know what the value of the dollar was at that age. Mm -hmm. I was just like, I've seen these things, and especially as a young kid, surrounded by people who had abundance. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand how come. You know, my classmates have, this is going to age me, they got the freshest, brand new Sean John <laughs> suit, jumpsuit on. And I'm like still trying to, you know, wear the clothes from last summer. Mm -hmm. You know, I wanted the freshest gear, but I didn't have the money for it. And not having that value of the dollar until I, until I got older and priorities had to be a thing. And when I say had to be a thing, a lot of us, uh, if I'm just being honest, might have our priorities out of whack. There's some people who, you know, they have a better shoe game than I do. Mm -hmm. They have a better 
better car than I do. I don't judge that anymore because there might be some people who have that and that's important to them and they can afford it, which is great. But there's other people who might be holding on to that more so than what they say they actually want. Mm -hmm. And maybe you have to drop the latest, you have to, you know, pass the latest drop of sneakers to save a couple extra hundred dollars to really put that money into something that's going to give you purpose and fulfillment in the future. I I I never want my existence to be tied up into materialistic things. Mm-hmm. Um, I think like like you were saying, some people, you know, get caught up in the glitz and the glam or you look at things on social media and it looks like everybody's winning and like they have to have all these materialistic things. It's like that's a dangerous game. And mm-hmm. if you're you're tied up into always impressing people with having the latest then and eventually over time you're gonna be stressed out. And I remember one of my mentors told me like if you value if you just value the dollar like that, you know do everything for a dollar you become a slave to it yeah and um, it's, it's just so powerful man but it's like for me i never wanted what i do or, or who i am to be tied up into um materialistic things because at the end of the day none of this stuff really matters at the end of the day yeah because um, once we leave here we can't take it with us anymore something you just touched on is you know not being a slave to the dollar right i i can honestly say i remember when i graduated school i went through a dark period because i was working at a law firm and it just wasn't in it wasn't in alignment with what i knew and said that i wanted to do Mm -hmm. so i started with a little flip camera recording storm damage whenever we got it hurricane irene in long island and i would i would wake up before work do a forecast put it on youtube i ended up going to the law firm to my boss becoming the weather consultant and doing (laughs) they laugh because i used to do a little intercom in the law office Mm -hmm. little weather reports for everybody in the morning I used to do this. And then three years later, I got hired as a meteorologist. And then from the meteorologist, got hired as an anchor in Greenville, South Carolina. Um, from an anchor in Greenville, South Carolina, now meteorologist in Charlotte, North Carolina, podcasting on the side, which I can honestly say the things I do today as a career, I first started doing for free. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't get paid to do what I do now when I first started doing it. But after I started doing it, then the money started to come. Now, I was going to talk, talk about, um, you know, getting down to uh, Greenville. But growing up, did you know, after high school, did you know exactly what you wanted to be growing up? <laughs> no. <laughs> I had no idea, man. Um, God's plan. Um, after building my computer, I decided I thought, I thought I wanted to go into computer engineering. Actually, I knew I wanted to go into computer engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to build computer hardware. Uh, but... As a natural high school student going into college, I was, I was given a choice by my parents. Mm-hmm. I can go out of state school for computer engineering, don't get a car. I can go in state school for computer science, get a car. I picked the car and found out computer science was not for me, man. I had a 1.9 GPA after my first semester mm-hmm. of school. Mm-hmm. I used to hide that because it, I thought it reflected my intelligence. Mm-hmm. Now I articulate that it wasn't a reflection of my intelligence. It was a reflection of my effort. I wasn't going to classes like I should. I wasn't paying attention like I should. But having that 1.9 GPA, I had to make a decision after my first year. What am I going to do? Because I'm about to fail out of school. That's when uh, a friend of mine, (laughs) he, he picked up on me speaking about the tides and birds and stuff. And he said, how do you know this stuff? And I was like, man, I've always been good at science. I always loved science. And he looked at me and said, you know, we have a great meteorology program. I said, really? He said, yeah. 
I went home, canceled all my classes, signed up for all the meteorology classes, started studying weather, didn't get below a 3.0 for the rest of my college career, and the rest was out to the gates. And it's amazing how, like, and I always talk about this as well, it's like sometimes people see things in us that we don't even see in ourselves at times. So for him to actually point that out to you and then for you to follow through with it, it's amazing how, like I was saying, these people, like, I, just, I always say God send these people and send these people your way. I, mean, I just posted because I said God can move people, places, things, and circumstances in your favor. Mm-hmm. And for this guy, to, your friend, to uh, point it out to you, and ever since then, you're just a straight-A student. Yeah. It's like it's amazing how people can see these things in you that you don't see yourself and help you find your guilt. It's like listening to the feedback in the world around us, right? Mm-hmm. So many times we get so locked into, this is my focus, this is what I'm doing. The people who love us, the people who are close to us, and even sometimes a stranger who just walks by the sh- street and sees something in us, we don't we don't pay any mind to it. But that's the feedback of the world. That's that's kind of maybe God nudging you into a certain path. Mm-hmm. And what's crazy is when I started going down that path, and I know, I know I say off to the races, right, with with meteorology. It wasn't a smooth transition, right. and it wasn't an easy path. Like, <laughs> the work just started, right. and the challenges just started. But it, there was something about having a direction that made the journey enjoyable. And when mm-hmm. I say made the journey enjoyable, there were days, uh, I'll be honest, man, there were days between the time to be, deciding to become a meteorologist to, to now, there were days where I fought depression. There were days where I've cried. There were days where I thought I've made a terrible mistake. Mm-hmm. But through all that, through the peaks and the valleys of all that, you know, there was growth and there was progress. And looking back, I wouldn't trade any of those experiences for anything right. because that's kind of who, who, what built me up into who I am today and, and prepared me for the opportunities that I've said I wanted had I gotten those opportunities when I wanted it, I would have messed it up. Because <laughs> yeah. for me, you know, I, I just thought, I did broadcasting in college, and I just thought that opportunity was going to fall right into my lap, like right after. Cause I, so I, I, was, I spent a lot of time my senior year up here mm-hmm. um, covering the Hornets and the Panthers. So I'm thinking, you know, if I'm in front of the greatest athletes in the world, then surely enough, once I graduate, I'm just the right opportunity is gonna be right there, and I'll be at ESPN, and I'm I'll be a made man. But mm-hmm. it didn't work that way, and you know, for me, it's just like I I went through those moments where I felt like, am I really good enough? Like, what's wrong with me to where I can't get a job that I want? You know, um, with all this experience that I have, so you know, mm-hmm. it, it was tough on me. Um, I had those moments where I just I questioned everything, like why why is this even happening to me? Like why. Can I find a job? Um, but for you, how was those beginning phases like after college? You know, trying to get that job mm-hmm. um, in meteorology. Like, what was that like for you after college? So, I graduated two thousand ten, right after the whole market crash of two thousand eight. Okay. Um, our industry saw, you know, saw a huge kind of disruption. That's where the inception of MMJs came about, one-man band, pretty much a fancy way of saying, you know, we had to cut costs but put out the same product. But at the same time, there was that catch-22 of you don't have any experience, so we can't hire you. So I was sitting there like, well, how how do I get experience if nobody would hire me? 
that's where that entrepreneurial bite came in. Um, you know, I, it took me three years to get a job in TV. And I say that because a year after I graduated, within a year after I graduated, could have even been, been faster. My timeline could be off, but I worked at a law firm through college. Mm -hmm. My last two years of college during the summers. The same law firm I worked in as a billing clerk after graduating. One of the uh, partners and one of the founders of that law firm calls me in their office one day and asked me, said, Ted, how committed are you to this weather thing? This was maybe six months, a year after I graduated. And I said, I'm pretty committed. And he's like, you could always make a good career as a lawyer. Kind of like, hey, you're at a law firm. You go to law school, mm -hmm. shadow an attorney. It, it, like he's setting up a future. Right, because right. he cares about me, and he's like, "I'm giving you, I'm giving you an option to make a good living." Mm -hmm. I thought about it, and I was like, "It's just not for me, man." Like, I, at the time, I was logging the hours that the lawyers worked. I know how much money they were billing per hour. It was a lot. They're driving nice cars, but I said, "I don't care if I'm in, B, in a BMW doing what these lawyers do every day. I'm going to be miserable in that right. BMW." So I kept chasing the dream. That's when they let me be a, a, a weather consultant, help them with some cases. And then it wasn't until three years later, after starting my own business and starting my own uh, little online forecasting, that a new station had <laughs> uh, a first ever position called meteorologist trainee, which was a fancy way of saying, we're going to give you a one-year contract. We're going to show you the ins and outs of the industry and see if you have what it takes. Mm. After a year... You can go home empty-handed, or you can be placed at our station or one of the multiple stations out there. This is kind of a, uh, you know, a test run. Right. And they saw my work, and they said, let's do it. And within nine months, they uh, really within six months, they came up to me and said, hey, there's a job opening in Greenville, South Carolina for a weekend meteorologist. I said, let's do it. Right. moment my boss walked out of the office... I went to the computer. Where in the world is Greenville, South Carolina? I, I had I'd never heard of Greenville, South Carolina before they said there was a job opportunity there and ended up being the biggest blessing ever. Absolutely. So you make you make your way down to where we are in the upstate of South Carolina. You were in Greenville, um, which is about a little bit about 50 minutes to an hour from where I'm from in Jonesville. Mm -hmm. What were your initial thoughts when you moved down from uh, to uh, Greenville to the upstate area? Beautiful. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. Like so growing up outside of New York, I kinda grew up in the suburbs and there was this town I used to love to go to called Huntington Station. And it was just uh it was like a downtown area with boutiques, shops, and then it had a main street and the moment I went through Main Street in Greenville, it was almost like I was back in Huntington. The only difference was there was a waterfall going through the middle. Mm -hmm. Um so instantly I was like, Whoa, where has this city been hiding? Because, <laughs> like, even my friends, like, I, they're all in New York still. And I'm like, yo, I'm going to Greenville, South Carolina. They're like, where's that? You're going to be at the beach? I'm like, no, I'm, a, I'm like up near North Carolina and everything. And I'm sending them videos. They're like, that's Greenville? I, I loved it, man. And, and honestly, you know, spending seven, eight years there, I could say, you know, I live in Charlotte, North Carolina now, um, but when, when people talk about where they're from or, or what has their heart, I could say, you know, I'm from New York. You could take me out of New York, but you could never take New York out of me. Mm -hmm. But I can always, Greenville, South Carolina always has a place in my heart, and I know it's part of my future because 
it's it's had such a big impact whether it be through business investments visiting because of the connections and the and really the family that i grew in that city i know uh, i mean i've been back many times since i moved out and i i know for sure i'll be back many more times in the future so you said you started out this is weekends mm-hmm. your role is it began to expand right while you were there over time so i started off as the weekend meteorologist and um we had an amazing morning meteor uh, morning anchor who uh towards the end of his contract w- was leaving so the opportunity arose is okay who's gonna who's gonna take up this this next spot um honestly i didn't think about it um you know it was it was approach i was approached and they said how would you feel about anchoring? Um, <laughs> I've never done that before. Um, reading out loud was a fear of mine. Um, I was that kid in class that would like shake and I hated reading out loud. Public reading is, is a fear of mine to this day, actually. Mm-hmm. But I said, this scares me, which is probably why I should do it. And it just ended up being the best opportunity at the time because it aligns with the goals of my dream to have my own show one day and like, you're going to have to learn how to read prompter. You're going to have to learn to do these things you've been avoiding. And when the opportunity came up, they said, you want to try morning anchoring? I said, yeah. So I sat on the desk a couple of times, got a couple of reps in, started practicing. I used to go to YouTube and just play. You can go to YouTube, type in prompter video and just cold read random prompter scrolling. I would just drill and practice and practice. Mm-hmm. And then uh, eventually had the opportunity and, and grew from there. Did you ever, you know, you say there was something feared at first reading out loud, but then you knew that was something that you um, needed to do. Did you ever have, um, were you ever shy or just lack any kind of like self-confidence, you know, growing up? Um, yeah, I was really shy growing up, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, which is funny because a lot of people don't know me like that. Uh, I mentioned football in high school. Up until freshman year of high school, um, all through freshman year of high school, I was pretty shy. I was quiet. Mm-hmm. Um, football opened me up. I was surrounded by a lot of great guys cracking a lot of jokes working on a on a good on a mission together right we were we were trying to win games together we were practicing so that built camaraderie and that's really where i kind of found my personality um so yeah that there was always an undertone of shyness um also an undertone of public speaking fear um an, an undertone of fear of being judged i had a lot of that and part of it was quote unquote i don't want to say identity issues but kind of not feeling like I fit in where I was. Going to Catholic school, I was a minority a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and also going to Catholic school and both of my parents being immigrants, even the way I speak. Uh, growing up, I was too white for the black kids, too black for the white kids. I kind of like didn't fit well in either mold. And because of that, you know, you hear the term growing up, kids don't know any better, but they're like, Ted, you're the whitest black kid we know. Mm-hmm. Well, thanks. Is it because I, I articulate? Is it because I'm well-read? I didn't understand that then at a young age. So it wasn't until I got older that I got more confident with my identity, more more comfortable in my skin, no longer wanting to fit in, but knowing I'm, I'm supposed to stand out, and um, really kind of letting, letting who I am shine and let it show because that's gotten me to where I am today. Mm-hmm. One thing I love about the career that I work in, whether it was in Greenville, South Carolina, or here, when I go to my boss, I say, hey, what do you what do you need from me they say hey keep being ted and that's what i keep doing you know could you you carry yourself so well you're well spoken um and you talk about how people would say you're not like black enough or you're the uh, 
whitest black kid we know, the black, or the, I think I'm saying it right, whitest yeah, yeah. black kid we know, whatever. Did that, was there ever like a, uh, and I and I hate when we do that because it's like, how, like, what is, what is white? Like, why can't, you know, us speaking proper or being professional, like, why isn't that like part of our culture? It's always mm-hmm. like, we have to be, uh, like, it's, we're not uh, white enough or whatever. But did that force you to kind of like, put pressure on yourself to kind of like, fit into those crowds or the way you just always just trying to like be yourself regardless yeah carlos man it's it's funny because we we do do that and and i didn't understand it at first when people were like you're the whitest black kid i know because i grew up in a black household where my sister my parents they spoke like this like this was what i knew but the, the reality of it is is um and there's a great book by shelby Steele called content of our character and he talked about the psychology of this mm-hmm. um i did adopt slang I adopted more of, I would say, an urban vernacular mm-hmm. to fit in. Um, and it, honestly, it's, it's part of my vernacular to this day. And I joke nowadays talking about, um, you know, the way I speak with my friends is not the way I speak on air, which is also not the way I speak with my parents. Mm-hmm. And, and that's something I learned as I got older is communication isn't just what you say. Or it's not what you're hearing as well. It's also how you say it. Mm-hmm. Right. So the way I communicate with people actually is different based on who I'm talking to, mm-hmm. because if I'm speaking to my mom or if I'm speaking on air to the general public, they're not going to receive the, the message the same way as if, if you know, me and you sitting down chopping right. it up. I could I could probably be a little bit more lenient. I could use certain words and terms that um, would be more in tune to your personality and I found that just makes the person I'm speaking to more comfortable. Right. I use the example of if you're a successful business owner, we know a lot of entre- entrepreneurs are probably listening to this podcast. Let's say you're doing business overseas and you're, you're trying to close a big deal with, uh, with a contract in China. And I, before the meeting, I'm like, hey, you know, in their culture, they, they, they bow before the meeting and they say she she when the tea comes out. If this is a big contract and you're trying to get this sale, are you going to bow before the meeting and say she she when the tea comes out? I would, <laughs> but it's, it's not, it's not conforming or changing who you are. It's, it's just communicating appropriately to that person. So they receive the message Absolutely. and that's what I had to learn. Absolutely. What would you say is one of the biggest lessons that you've learned, you know, um, being in the media and being in the spotlight, like what's one of the biggest, um, most important lessons that you've learned? Depth and pay your dues. I, I say that because, and we touched on it, like graduating, you know, you think that's it. You think, mm-hmm. I made it. I got my diploma. Or, you know, for the business owners, you, you filed your articles of incorporation. Congratulations, right? <laughs> the work just started. And, and I had to learn, even with my diploma and all the schooling and then freelancing on my, working for myself in during the podcast when I first got a job in the industry I didn't know half the amount I thought I knew I had so much to learn and I'll even say that in my career I'm going through that again like I'm in a larger market I'm in I'm exposed to more we're pushing the limits of what we're doing now and I'm still growing and I'm still learning and just had a conversation with one of my colleagues about where we are and we look at some of these others on their highlight reels on social or where they are in life and we want to be there so fast and like mm-hmm. I have to remind myself oh, we're still young we're, we're still mm-hmm. we're just getting started in this game mm-hmm. right I feel like I'm trying to measure 
I'm trying to measure the football field in 50 yards when, <laughs> or I'm trying to measure the football field in 10 yards when it's still the full 100. So what I learned the most was, um, was depth and paying your dues. And I say depth because a lot of us live in the shallow. A lot of us, I mean, in this, in this podcast, for example, I know you're well-researched, right? You didn't just come down and just set the cameras up and be like, hey, let's just talk. You, you did the prep work, and that's the thing most people don't see. People will see the, the product come out. People will see the, you know, they'll see LeBron James making all the money he's making, but they don't see the hours he spent in the court honing his craft. They don't see the depth that goes into the execution of what is great. I'm so glad you said that because uh, it made me think about, um, you know, just doing the self-investment tour and, and man, people will reach out to me and say, man, I want to um, go with you. I want to travel here and there and do all this. But I'm like, man, you don't understand like <laughs> the work that goes into putting these interviews together, the time it takes to you know, do the research, the reading, the uh, it's, it's a lot that goes into it. It's like you're saying, it's not just setting up this equipment and just talking and just having a conversation. Like It takes time and preparation to do all of this stuff. And, and a lot of people, they don't understand everything that goes into it. Mm-hmm. But there's just so much. You have to be committed to the craft. Um, and it's, I have moments where I'm like, well, I, I'm telling you, I, I get down, I, <laughs> I beat myself up. And then, like you were saying recently, not too long ago, about, you know, when you look on social media and you see what, this person is doing or this person has that or or any of that stuff it makes you feel like man why am i not there yet like what's taking me so long you have to understand that it's um it's not your time you just got to be patient you know continue to do the work mm-hmm. be patient but it's it's so much to it it's a, it's a journey like i tell anybody it's, it's a journey but um and i would look at those things and i would just be like man um i would just tell myself and it was it was weird because i would tell myself you know until I get this amount of viewers or subscribers, or I, until I get this person on a podcast, then I can't be happy yet. Or yeah. if I don't have this amount of money, but once I get reach this certain amount of wealth, then I'm, I can officially be happy. And it's like it's not. It's almost. I was almost in my mind like, okay, nothing is ever good enough until I get to this certain level, which mm-hmm. is a dangerous game. Every threshold I've hit, every goal I set that I hit, financial goal, mm-hmm. when I hit it. There's that that moment of ah yeah elation, and then there's the come down afterwards. Exactly. Like okay now what? And then what do you do? You set the next goal. You set the next the next one the next one. And that's when I started realizing it's like this whole rat race thing we talk about. You know I think a lot of people. I think the rat race is misunderstood. We look at the rat races and working the nine to five and barely making it and that that's an aspect of it Mm -hmm. but i also think the rat race applies to those uber successful people who keep elevating the bar and they don't know why because you're still the hamster in the in the in the wheel you're just running faster in a nicer wheel but you're still not going anywhere so that's when i had to realign and and like i say the 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 weather i did for free before i ever got paid for it podcasting my modern man mission that's all being done for free before i'm getting paid for it Mm -hmm. and the reason i go in that because it's those are purpose-driven tasks those are tasks that without the paycheck make me feel good Mm -hmm. those are tasks that feed my soul along the way because in anything any venture any goal any 
outcome somebody's hoping to have in life, if it is significant, it's going to take work. And there's going to be a time where you look in the mirror and you ask yourself, is this worth it? And if your soul is not being fed along the way, you're going to give up. Absolutely. And it was, uh, like, I had a moment where last year, and I don't say this to, to brag anything, but it's just me sharing my story. Like, I had mm -hmm. a moment where, you know, I was talking about I needed more and more and more. And um, it was, a, I had, like, a, like a three, four-month stretch where I, I traveled, went for my second self-investment tour, went to uh, Miami, and then we went to uh, Vegas and we went to Oakland, California and I came back home and then I interviewed the founder of Reebok. Mm -hmm. So it was like, man, how do I top this one? How do I top this, this, this? And then I just got to a moment where I just got burnt out and I just stopped. And for like maybe five months, mm -hmm. I just didn't do anything related to podcasts, interviews, anything. I was just like, kind of like, just took a break. I did some reading, you know, just working on myself, man, because it was just like a, a mental game and I was just burning myself out, just trying to, you know, top the next thing. Even though I love what I was doing, it was just like, man, I need to achieve this next level of mm -hmm. success or whatever it is in my mind. And it just kind of like burned me out for a second. So I just kind of had to, you know, step away from it just to kind of like reprocess and understand that it's okay to be, it's okay to be happy with who I am right now. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that it's, just to settle and just stay here, but understand like you're here for a reason, you know, be thankful for everything that you have that God has given you in life right now, and then just move on from that until you strive for more after that. Yeah, I, I'm learning to find gratitude in my reality, man, mm -hmm. because a lot of us spend so much time worrying about what, what's in their hand, what's, what's in, what cards are they holding, you know, what cards are they about to play, that we don't look at our own deck. Mm -hmm. And if anybody who's played Texas Hold'em or who's played poker before and you have the cards out on the table and you're so worried about what this person is going to play, what that person is going to play, you're not looking at your cards and realizing mm -hmm. you have a full house. Right. Right? You're not realizing you have the winning deck in your hand mm -hmm. because you're too worried looking at everybody else's deck. Yep. And I found out wherever I am in life has been the foundation of where I'm trying to go or where I need to go. I've always looked at, okay, what am I lacking, right? What am I lacking? If I don't have it yet, God says I don't need that tool yet. I don't need that tool. I, I used to think, oh, man, if I only had the money, I'd be able to do this, this, and this. Okay, now you have the money, but you don't need to do this, this, and this because you've established yourself in this, this, and that. Mm -hmm. And I remember the days where my biggest problem was a cell phone bill, right? A $50 problem was huge fresh coming right. out of college. A $50 problem today is a better problem than some of the problems I have, man. <laughs> exactly. I want to talk, talk a little bit more. I'll get back to the uh, newsroom. Is it exhausting at times, you know, working in the news and always just constantly hearing bad news? Because I mean, my professor always told us, if it bleeds, it leaves. So most of the time, when you turn on the news, it's always something negative. So is that exhausting? You know, kind of here, just constantly hearing bad news. Yeah, um, probably one of the roughest days of my career was the um, the Parkland shooting, Florida. Mm -hmm. We have a four. We had a four-hour morning show. I was, you know, morning anchor, one of the lead anchors, and you know, my job for those four hours was reporting on that school shooting. Uh, another one was the Las Vegas. Uh, country music shooting 
that happened overnight. And I you remember were in Greenville at the time. I right? was, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I was anchoring, and I remember listening to the police scanners. I remember the death toll going from five to six, seven. When we started that morning, the biggest story was um, uh, who got out of jail that morning? OJ, I think, or not, not OJ. Uh, someone just got out of jail. Um, and then we had the the shooting, and then I watched those numbers go up throughout the morning. And it was just surreal. Um, it's not easy, man. It's it's not easy. And doing the research and and the understanding of journalism is it really a thankful a thankless industry? Um, because it's an industry of public service. It's an industry of informing the public, so they could be informed enough to self govern. So they right. can make. They can make educated choices when they go into the booth to vote. They can keep our, our companies, our political leaders accountable and really have that, tra- that communication and that transparency that's so necessary. But the unfortunate reality of that is also, I mean, just like police officers. I had a cop tell me, he's like, Ted, man, when I meet people, it's usually on their worst day. Like, my day job is meeting people on their worst day. Mm-hmm. And journalism is a lot like that. You know, our job is delivering news and information. But when terrible things are happening, our job is also to report that. Right. And terrible things do happen. We're not so much anymore in the if it bleeds, it leads. But we are in the um, if it's searched, it leads. If it's impactful, it leads. Like, and when I say it's, if it's searched, a lot of times our main question is, what is impacting our viewers most? Mm-hmm. How do we find out what's impacting our viewers most? Well, what are they searching most? What are they asking about most? Um, so I, I know a lot of people might have certain thoughts and ideas and opinions on the media and, and the industry right now. But I just remind people, like, this is an effective mirror. Because as much as people don't like what's being reported, what's being reported is what's being asked and what's right. being searched. And that's just the mirror of what people want to see. How important is it to separate your personal feelings from, like, the actual news? Because a lot of times, it feels like a lot of times, a lot of outlets now are, are like, a lot of opinionated shows and platforms now. Um, instead of just actually, like, reporting, like, these are the facts, this is what happened. But how important is it to actually, like, separate your personal feelings from like actual news i think it's pivotal um Mm -hmm. and and the good ones know how important it is and and i say like this um i've thankfully the newsrooms i've worked in have systems set up Mm -hmm. where we can take as much of our bias out as we want but until i have another set of eyes look on it i can't say it's not biased because i'm gonna i'm always gonna have a personal bias no matter how objective i try to be i'm gonna have a personal bias so until i take my work and i say hey carlos can you look at this what do you think and have two to three minds look at it mm-hmm. that kind of helps facilitate the you know the even keel of the reporting that being said um there has been a lot of divisiveness and and a lot of um inflammatory stories and and more opinionated pieces that that have come out but to be honest that's not from 
that's not from a majority of the outlets that people follow. Um, it, it might be from a very select few, but the, the, the problem is the select few usually rise to the top because they have the loudest voices. Do they have to come to you guys sometimes and, and tell you, remind you, like, just report the facts, or do you guys already know, like, know in general, like, well, so that's what the systems are in place for, right? So mm-hmm. what, what we would have, you know, in the structure of, uh, of leadership, right, is you know, the reporter will, will do the story and then look for approval on the story for a set of eyes to look at it. And usually that's going to be a higher up. Mm-hmm. Um, more of an executive producer or a, a assistant news director to overlook it to make sure a it's it's factually correct b it is um, a non biased piece so again the systems are set up where it's understood and it's known but no matter how hard we try we all have a personal bias so right. the way our industry is set up is for those checks and balances anyway before it goes out. For you, outside of work, how much do you actually, like, watch the news outside of, like, when you're hmm. actually there? I'll be honest. When I first started, a lot. Um, when I first was learning the craft heavily. Now, unplug. Right. I unplug. Mm-hmm. Um, especially with the news. Um, actually, a funny story, when I canceled my cable... I remember my dad, and he's old school, says, hey, dad, I'm canceling my cable. He's like, all right, what are you going to do for sports? I was like, well, you know, my apartment has has public spaces. I can watch the game, or I can go out to the bar, you know, hang out with a couple of friends. He's like, well, what about your shows? Mm-hmm. I was like, you know, dad, I got, I got Netflix, you know, and Amazon Prime. I have my shows on that, and, and YouTube. I watch a lot of YouTube podcasts and stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then my dad goes, but, Ted, what are you going to do for your news? <laughs> and I just started laughing. I was like, Dad, I think I got that realm covered. So I canceled my cable because I got my news at work, sports I watch with my friends, shows I could stream, and for the most part, I listen to podcasts and YouTube. So um, when I get out of work, I unplug. The information I needed has been absorbed. If there's any strict or major updates, I have those notifications set up, but for the most part, they're silenced unless they reach a certain critical level. Which obviously, when even when I'm on the Do Not Disturb, my immediate bosses could reach me. Um, major alerts can get to me. So in breaking news situations, I know when to be on. But when I'm when I'm not on, I'm not on. I'm, <laughs> I'm the type, you know. I, I don't knock anybody watching. My, my parents they they watch the news and they always tell me we need to you know stay informed on what's going on, which is true. But if I'm looking at it. Just let me see what the weather is, and I'm good, which I can check that on my phone. But mm-hmm. for the most part, I try to stay away from the news just because it's like, man, it's always just a lot of negativity. I don't like to fill my spirit with that kind of stuff, which I, which, which you still need to know what's going on. I get that. But for me, I watch very little, very little news, and then, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm, I like it's to, just tough for me to just take it in because yeah. I just hate hearing, like, bad news I like to say, uh, describe it as, you know, pay attention, right? Mm-hmm. And when I say pay attention, it's, let's say you're driving on the highway and, you know, you're staying in your lane and you have a destination, you're focused on going there. There's a car to your left, there's a car to your right, car in front of you and a car behind you. You're aware of all four of those cars. Mm-hmm. But if you really think about it, most of the time, 
you probably couldn't tell me the make and model of those cars. You probably couldn't tell me the license plate. You just know the car is there. Mm -hmm. So you're paying attention, but you're not fixated on it. And that's kind of how I am with the news, right? I'm in my lane and I'm driving where I'm going to drive, but I'm paying attention to what's going on around me because if the car in front of me slows down or the guy in my blind spot chart starts coming over, I'm going to have to react to it and be able to move accordingly. So I'm paying attention, but I'm not fixated on the details of it. I know this is happening. Like, I'm not trying to timestamp the, the episode, but war in Ukraine. I'm aware of that. I don't have to get infatuated with the details of it. Mm -hmm. I just need to be aware of its of its happening, its progress, and what changes along the way. Absolutely. As a as a black man in the media, you know, and you're on this platform where so many people are watching you on TV. How do you handle that responsibility um, of being on uh, of using such a powerful platform and just? Because um, it's so important, like I always say, just relatability. To see someone that looks like us on TV and the platform that you have, how do you handle that responsibility? Um, I think, <laughs> I mean, I can't even cr take credit for handling it because kind of like what I mentioned before, the example I followed, um, I think I was just, I was blessed. Mm -hmm. And, and. You know, I didn't have those examples um, growing up as well. What I had was the example within the household of how to operate. When I was young, my dad, he talks about the award, and I have it now in my office, uh, Integrity and Character Award that I got in like the eighth grade. And my dad said, to this day, uh, you introduced me Emmy Award winning. I won an Emmy. My dad says, nah, I still like this award better. Because he said, your strength of character and your integrity is what's going to take you farther in life. Forget the accolades of the Emmys. Forget the other thing. Your character and how you carry yourself is everything. My dad used to teach me, someone's always watching. Your reputation precedes you whether you think it does or it doesn't. Mm -hmm. So handle yourself accordingly. And, and because of that, I think... The platform that, that I'm on and, and the person people sees is, is the result of, uh, of good examples. So I can't take credit for carrying that. I could just, I could take gratitude in the fact that um, what I've been able to accomplish could inspire somebody else to do even more. Absolutely. Is, the, is being in the media like the grind and everything that you had to go through get to where you are for you is it everything that you thought it would be like envision you know trying to get to where you are now it isn't it isn't um and that's just i'm being i'm being honest and being real it's we we put a lot of our goals and we put a lot of our ambitions on a pedestal um i love what i do and i'm blessed to do it but as i'm getting older the career was never the most important thing. And, and I say that because, you know, I'm, I'm newly married, right? Congratulations. Appreciate it. I mean, when I say newly, it's been almost a year. D July 16th is going to be a year. We're going on our honeymoon finally, right? right? But it's amazing the, how the conversations are different now than they were when I was younger. I remember 
first getting into TV, first getting into industry. If you were to talk to me, if we were doing this podcast, I would tell you how I'm working to be in New York and then, you know, nation, top, top nation uh, uh, platform and good morning America. I'm just, I'm going for the ambitious. I'm going as high as I can go. Now the conversations are, how can I make, a, how can I make a good enough living to enjoy my family? So I would say, the goals and the 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 spot that I've gotten to in my industry is a blessing, and I'm thankful. Was it everything I thought it would be? No, because kind of what we mentioned before, we put a a level of I'll be happy when I'll be happy mm-hmm. when. So what I'm realizing is it's not about being happy when, it's being happy with. I'm being happy mm-hmm. with what I have and trying to maximize what's most important to me, which is time. And time to spend with my wife, time to spend with my future kids. And that's what's become more of that focus. And I will say, where I am in life now, the career goals that I've set, that I've reached, allow me the luxury of that time. It does take away from that sometimes, too. It's a hard balance. (laughs) If you're ambitious like myself, it's like, okay, you have to sometimes balance that ambition with the family time. But I also am aware of the blessings of what I do provides a living to facilitate the life that I have, that I enjoy. And speaking on balance, do you, do you ever really think it's a, uh, a such thing as balance when you're, when you're on your journey and you got these goals and things that you want to achieve? Do you really ever think it's a such thing as, as balance or it's just kind of like you have to make the best of the time you will allow on this I think it's making the best of the time that we're allowed on this earth. Mm-hmm. And, and I say that because I think different seasons of our lives will require different intensities in different areas. I know a lot of people and some of my mentors who went ham on their business and now they are collecting their money while working two days a week because they're spending time with their family. Mm-hmm. So I think the balance that they had in life was they went all in in one realm to get an outcome in a different realm. We've heard it said before, you know, hey, live these next five years like no one else can or like no one else will. So afterwards, you can live like no one else can. I don't think there's balance per se, but I think there's adjustments along the way. Mm -hmm. Different seasons have different priorities. Uh, Case in point, my podcast and kind of when you stepped away for a few months, that's a moment where your balance is sometimes your mental health and your body's health is more important than the podcast doesn't mean that the podcast isn't as important to you. It just means the priorities have changed a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's still something that you want to do. When I was getting married, I spent a whole summer not recording a podcast. doesn't mean I didn't want a podcast anymore. It just means you know, committing to the love of my life and making the vow to spend our lives together and beyond was more important at the time. Mm-hmm. So it's all going to be a balancing act all along the way. And my only hope is I show up where needed and necessary at the right times. And that was a great example. There's a few more questions and then uh, we'll get ready to wrap it up. So for people who want, who, who are thinking about getting into the media, like what advice would you give them and what, what are some things that they need to understand before they step into that, um, into that realm? Um, I'd say start writing. And when I say start writing, um, you think 
a lot of us do Instagram posts, tweets, TikToks, whatever you, whatever you're posting or whatnot. You're t- you're likely writing a caption with that. So a lot of people write and they don't even know it. Um, so I'd say start writing, start finding your voice, start articulating. If you don't, if your strength isn't in writing, start recording videos. You don't have to share them with anybody. Just start talking. Start finding how you articulate, put thoughts and ideas together. Mm-hmm. Journaling. Um, because a lot of our industry in communication is our ability to communicate information and, and do it in a concise way. So honing in on that and finding your voice is, is the first tip I would give somebody. Number two, um, we live in a realm where we all have cell phones. We all have the capacity to be a journalist. I'm not going to say, oh, everybody's a journalist, because there, there's, there's practices that need to be followed and things like that, but we all have the tools to be a journalist, the power of the pen, the power of a platform. We can make an account tomorrow and build some meaningful stories and build a following with that mission. That's journalism. Start betting on yourself and practicing. And then finally, um, picking the realm in which you wanna go in, whether it's long form, short form, sports, uh, investigative, you know. And I would say do some soul searching in terms of what's most important to you because I've seen stories enact change. I've seen stories that have made the world a better place. And these, this is, that's really what the, the whole process of journalism in is. For anybody that has called an Uber recently, you had that text message with the license plate number and mm-hmm. the name of the driver or whatnot. That was a case out of uh, the Samantha girl who, who died by getting in the wrong, ooh, uh, wrong car. Columbia, right? Exactly, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Uh, USC student. Young girl got into a car thinking that was her Uber. Her body gets found 16 hours later. That's a tragedy. That's a news story that enacted change across all major ride-sharing platforms now. Now it is legislation, and now it's something that Hey, we need to send the license plate number to the dr- to the to the patron before they re- meet the driver. We need to share this appropriately. So, I've seen journalism change the world, and for anybody who's working on their voice, building their own platform, the last step would be identify what problem in the world you want to solve and work on it. One of the things that made me just think about, as far as like with journalism, um, one of my things that I kind of like was my pet peeve about it is uh, when outlets, and I'll let you speak on this, like some outlets, instead of being right, they choose to be first to like put out news. And whether it's true or not, like they want to be the first to get it out there, so they'll put it out and then just say, well, let's see if it's true later on down the line. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that kind of tanks this craft and this business when outlets choose to be first instead of being correct? So, um Speed is the enemy of accuracy. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I say by that is when we live in a world where information comes out so rapidly, the unfortunate reality is you can't be silent when things are happening. So that's kind of what I would say is the biggest challenge in today's world is with Twitter, Instagram, social media, something happens, it's public. Mm-hmm. So you have the information available at the speed of light. These major outlets can't ignore the reality of what's happening. So what I've noticed is real-time journalism. 
and there's a little bit more transparency in the news gathering, right? Case in point, when I talked about the Vegas school shooting, we were reporting the numbers of deaths. We also were reporting them saying these are preliminary numbers and they are, they are bound to change mm -hmm. because we know the inaccuracy of the numbers. But if we spent all morning acting like it didn't happen, we're not, we're not reporting on what's right. happening. So um, we do live in a, an interesting time where the information is available faster than the verification. Mm -hmm. And um, what's hard is kind of going back with just because we have the platforms, we have the tools to be journalists, that doesn't make us all journalists. Case in point, Kobe Bryant, um, social media saying, oh, his whole family was on the, on the helicopter. Yeah, yeah. Him and his daughters yeah. were on the helicopter. That is why journalistic process is important mm -hmm. because this poor woman had to hear about her husband and daughters dying in a helicopter accident when was it actually true? Right. But the, the process is communicate with the coroner when, they're, when the bodies are identified they alert the next of kin, and when the next of kin and the family has been informed, then you could report it. Right. That cleans up a whole bunch of messes that can happen, which is why it's so important for the journalistic process to exist. However, when the information comes out, it's unverified. Yeah. So as these large institutions are watching this, they need to report on what they know so far, because whether it's you know, Samantha J275 on Twitter saying this or CNN, that's when you have to kind of think about the source. Right. And like, okay, am I going to think Samantha J25 something, something is right or CNN saying, hey, preliminary numbers of this? More of a trusted source to kind of feed off of. Absolutely. I got a couple more questions. We'll get ready to wrap it up. I know you mm -hmm. got, got some other things to do. Um, yeah. What advice would you give to your younger self? Be patient, work harder. Mm -hmm. um, uh, not necessarily work hard. I say be patient. I would say be patient, but act faster. I spend a lot of times holding myself back from fear, limiting beliefs, not having confidence in myself. That's what I mean by work faster or do more. Uh, and, and then be patient because when I would do that, do that, I would want the outcome to come so much faster. So, be patient, work faster. For anyone um, that wants to go after their dreams, we may not necessarily even be, you know, being in the media. Um, what advice would you give to someone who wants to um, go after their dreams? Um, if it doesn't scare you, it's too small. You are capable of a lot more than you think. And um, whatever timeline you set for yourself, double it. <laughs> and identify and find somebody who's already got what you want. Absolutely. And find them and see if you can shadow them, work for them for free, learn from them, offer something to them, help them, whatever you can. Learn. Absolutely. And then my final question this is the Cross the Line Podcast Self-Investment Tour, so i like to ask everyone who comes on, what does self-investment mean to you? Self-investment means um, acquiring knowledge. Um, for a long time, I've dedicated about 10% of my income to books, uh, interviews, trying business ventures, failing. So self-investment means failing and taking else. 
because I don't know anybody who's been successful who hasn't failed. Absolutely. You never know until you, until you give it a, a chance. You got to keep going. It's the shots you don't take. <laughs> yep. You always miss. 100%. I've done it so much, man. It's just like, you know, you can plan all day long, but until you actually get out there and just take a chance and, and bet on yourself, nothing is going to happen. So it, I definitely understand where you're coming from with that. And Ted, I want to thank you again. I really appreciate you taking the time. I'm so happy. Mm-hmm. I know we. I reached out to you several months back, and I said we'll stay, I'll stay in touch and, yeah. and get to you. And um, family, you know, I've been – Traveling all over, but I'm thankful we had a chance to finally have to be able to sit down and have a conversation. So I thank you again. Yeah, man. Um, before we get out of here, though, please um, talk about your podcast and, and speak about your shirt as well. Oh, yeah. So the, the passion's been the Modern Man podcast. And Carlos, I appreciate the opportunity. So mm-hmm. thank you for reaching out. Absolutely. Thank you for, for having this platform and allowing me to share. Um, outside of meteorology, uh, this is my, my baby. Uh, the Modern Man is on a vision of connecting men in pursuit of their potential, building a community of men showing up as their best selves in life and paying attention to mental health, but also building a community of men doing great things. So the shirt I'm wearing says hashtag you good because us as men don't ask each other that question intentionally enough. Mm-hmm. It's like, hey man, are you good? And even further, we don't answer honestly enough. So just trying to get rid of that taboo of men talking about what they go through and actually building a community of men who can put wind in each other's sails for the things that we're trying to accomplish in life. Because I know a lot of good men with big dreams, uh, big goals and aspirations, and they just don't have the tools, resources, or the community to chase after it. So they end up feeling fulfilled, and that deteriorates on their mental health. So I'm hoping through the podcast we can have conversations like this, growth, business, finances, fitness, family, and relationships, and and help kind of usher in what I hope to be audacious goal, a new wave of men in society that that are positive examples for for so many of us who grow up without that father figure. Mm-hmm. That we'll have a ubiquitous amount of other examples to follow. Man, that's so important. I'm so glad you you spoke about that. I think there's a very much needed platform that we need because you know, like I said, men we don't check in on each other enough say, are you good or mm-hmm. or if you like if you say you're going through something like man you're being soft or you, mm-hmm. you know you had like a girl it's just stuff like that you know you need to check on each other and make sure each other we're, we're, we're good as men because you know for me honestly like I when I look at my dad man the greatest father to me um I never seen my dad cry I just say I always mm-hmm. seen him just work hard so I'm just thinking man can't show that sign of weakness because my dad was just always tough and you know he disciplined us but you know my dad was just so tough and you know i just never seen him just give up or cry or anything so mm-hmm. like, that's what a man is supposed <laughs> to be man because he was our provider and, and so i'm just like man now to, to hear this kind of stuff like men actually do get vulnerable have we have emotions as well so i definitely think that's a perfect platform so that you mm-hmm. have much needed yeah i appreciate it man and and there's strength in that vulnerability too Mm -hmm. some of the strongest men i know um have been vulnerable and it's that vulnerability the admittance of powerlessness in one area that makes them powerful in others absolutely so ted can you tell everyone 
how how to find your platform and how to find you on, on social media before we get ready to wrap it up. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, for the Modern Man Podcast, it's just themodernmanpodcast.com. Um, you can find all our episodes there. Um, for me, you can find me on Instagram at the Real Phaeton Forecast. That's P H A E T O N, the number four K A S T. So the Real Phaeton Forecast. Um, that's my handle on Instagram. And through there, the link tree will have the connections to all my other platforms LinkedIn, Facebook, and all that. Absolutely. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the Cross the Line Podcast. Also, I want to thank our sponsors again, KB's Car Care. And also Big Ben's Desserts. Also, thank you to Charlene's Home Cooking on 1136 East Blackstock Road in Moore, South Carolina. So I hope you guys enjoyed this episode of the Cross the Line Podcast. This is a self-investment tour here in Charlotte, North Carolina. Till next time, keep chasing your dreams. Thank you for listening.